And uh, we're going to be returning to our series on Who Needs Christmas? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, last week we had the Nativity, but a couple of weeks ago we started this series looking at Who Needs Christmas? And I ended it with saying that God needs Christmas, and that's what we're going to have a look at today. If you remember that this amazing story, we've seen nativities time and time again every year. I'm 52, so I think I've seen at least 52, but I think I've probably seen about 350 nativities in my lifetime. Several, uh, every year there's several of them that we all watch, isn't there? And grandchildren come along, children, all those things. So you end up seeing far more than just one a year. And it's great because it's a great story. And maybe you're there thinking, well, it is, and it's all very cute, but I'm not sure I believe it. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe it did happen, but what's the point of it today? And maybe you're thinking, it's so unbelievable, so unremarkable, or so remarkable, that you just struggle with it. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you think, well, I can get bits of it, but I'm not sure about that. Whatever it is, today, hopefully, we can explore the story again. Because as I said last time, it didn't start with a couple, Mary and Joseph, wondering how on earth they got pregnant and what they were going to do. It started 2,000 years before that with a couple called Abram and Sarah who were thinking that they were never, ever going to have a baby. And they did. And through, that, through Abraham and through their child Isaac, God promised them, gave them blessings, that they would be a blessing to all people in all the world, that their children would go on for generations blessing the whole world. And can you imagine, in your 70s and 80s, you haven't had any children, and God is saying that to you. And here we are, 4,000 years later, talking about it. So, why did it start back then? Why is that so important? Because it's part of the story. It doesn't just start at Christmas with candles and with a manger scene and children dressing up and reenacting the story. It starts with God who created the world, who created every single one of us just as you are. You might not like the way that you are, but God created you that way. You are created in God's image. So I'm not saying that God looks a little bit weird, but God does look like a bit of all of us because we're created in his image, with his nature, with personality, the things that we can do, the things that we can choose not to do. God has created each and every one of us. So God needed Christmas. And why the, the, the strap line, if you like, the kind of final bit of this story is that God needed Christmas to show you that you're loved. That is the big story. That's what we're going to end up with later on this morning. So if you nod off, you won't have missed much, just the bits in the middle. But that is what we're going to be focusing on today. I wonder if you are a parent, if you are an auntie, if you've got good friends, how do you show your loved ones that you love them? That isn't rhetorical. I am asking you to speak to me. So how do you show the people that you love that you do, in fact, love them? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Sarah, you give them a hug. Excellent. You spend time with them. 
You look after them by their cooking and the cleaning. You cook just once a week, Ralph. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you cook for them. <laughs> you do it amazing and damage your body in the meantime, but you do amazing, don't you? <laughs> so we cook for them, don't we? We do jobs for them. We show them. Anybody else? You? We listen to them. Yep. You're there for them through different situations. Exactly. How does God show us, each one of you, that you are loved and special? How do you feel it? It can be really hard, can't it? How do we know? It's not that tangible thing when we don't see him. When he's in spirit form, speaking to us through our minds, our feelings, and our emotions. Well, I want to say that that's part of the Christmas story, is that God needed to come and show us how much we're all loved. That is the Christmas story. There is a story, uh, a fable, that there's a farmer and his wife, and they're living um, out in the rural areas, and it's Christmas Eve, and it's really snowing, and uh, the family wanted to go to Christmas Mass. And um, the farmer, the man, didn't want to go. He said, I'm going to stay here, just make sure everything's all right with the animals. You lot go off to the rest of the family went to Christmas Mass. Well, while he was there, the wind got really bad. There's storms of snow, blizzards, all of that, and it got really bad. Well, this flock of birds came. And they all seemed a bit lost. They couldn't fly in the wind. They couldn't fly in the snow. And so they all get, were on the field outside. And he was like, well, they're going to freeze to death out there. I know. I'll open the doors to the barn and they can go in the barn. So he does. He opens up the barn, but the birds stay in the field. So as I know what I'll do, I'll put the lights on and then they'll know that's the place to go. But no, the birds still stay in the field. And he goes, well, let me put loads of food out. And he puts a trail from the field to the barn so the birds can follow it. And he makes it warm and cozy. And still, the birds don't go in the barn. And he's tearing his hair out. He's really worried about these birds. And he doesn't know what to do. And he thinks, if only I was a bird, I could go in and be as one of them and tell them where they can be safe and warm and protected in the barn. And to me, that's the story of Christmas, that God wanted us to know how much we're loved, how special you are, how every single thing that you do and think is fine with God. He loves you. He may want you to change some of it, but he loves you. He chose to come as one of us so that we might finally listen to the story, the good news of who God is. So we have our ways of demonstrating love. God needed Christmas to show us that we were loved. We speak about Paul a lot in church. He, uh, we're jumping forward now. Uh, he uh, was uh, a Jewish um, Pharisee who really loved the law. He was one of those people who loved the rules. And he loved the fact that he knew so much of them and he could quote it to other people and he could tell other people when they were doing it wrong. And he was one of these people who did not believe initially that Jesus was the Messiah. 
He didn't believe in the people that were starting to follow him and were, even after Jesus had died, that he was the way, the way to the truth, and they were known as the way. So he used to persecute uh, Christians and those that would follow him. And so much so, he would allow and give orders for them to be killed. And one day, he decides to go to Damascus because he realized that's where a load of Christians were hanging out. And when he's there, on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus dramatically. Jesus has died and resurrected at this point, and he has this amazing experience. And what makes it so amazing is that other people witnessed it as well, and he is converted. And his name was Saul, and he then becomes known as Paul to represent how much he had uh, changed. And as he's kind of learning about Jesus, as he's understanding who he was because he'd met him, and he'd been so convinced, well, obviously Jesus is the Messiah, what does that then mean for all the things that I've been reading about, all this knowledge I have? What does it mean for being a Jewish leader today? And he, is, he starts to look at the scriptures differently. He starts to think about all of the laws and the prophets. And then he says, aha, I get it. I get why Jesus came and why Jesus came in the way he does. He sees that all of what was happening from Abraham right until Jesus was, if you like, a long pregnancy. It was a birthing plan for God to do something new. And in Galatians 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. There's quite a lot in that little bit of text, isn't there? But let's just focus for a moment on the fullness of time that had come. In the LLT, um, the New Living Translation, it says, the time was right. The time was right. In the NRSV, it says, the fullness of time. But there's something about that the time was ready. I think most of us understand about pregnancy and birth, but it's very... A few times you can force a baby to be born. Sometimes medically that has to happen. But a baby comes when it's ready, doesn't it? And for years that's what mums would pass on to children. The baby will come when it's ready. The day, this first Christmas and all the things that happened, it was because all things were now ready. God needed Christmas and he built up to such a time so that all things were ready. The time had fully come. And when we're talking about that, what we're saying is the world had become much more civilized. There was less wars. I've put peace up there, but it might not necessarily be in peace as we would know it living here in England But the time was a lot less violent than it had been. There were roads, there were seaports, there was a network, a transportation network. A network for news to get out. For news to travel and get to other people. Can anybody name me a tribe in the Amazon that is, you know, what we might call uncivilized, that has, um, doesn't... Uh, live to the ways of the modern world? 
I was hoping nobody would. You never know. Questions like that can be really dangerous. Somebody often goes, oh, yes, I do. I study that. Whatever. So I'm glad that you didn't, because that's my point. If God had chosen the time to come when news didn't travel to a small population that wasn't connected to the rest of the world, the message wouldn't have got out, would it? So while we can look at the Roman occupation and think how bad it was, it was part of setting the stage for what was about to happen. And so that's the world. And then we look at the temple situation. It was a temple that was looking at money more than morality. The temple and the Jewish system was so focused on the law and doing things right that they weren't necessarily all that bothered about people and where people were doing. And were they okay? And were they healing? Were they looked after? Some might say the church is still a bit like that, but I won't say that. That would be rude. So, But that was a time when money, if you think about Jesus turning over the, 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 the tables, it's not about trading on a Sunday or trading in a church. It's where they were trading and how they were stopping people from getting close to God, to worshiping him that they had made it all about money rather than how we are inside. The corruption was rife. And that was taking over rather than compassion that they needed for people. So when there was an empire, an empire that had been built across Asia, minor Asia, Europe, although it was built on violence, it provided a way. And there was a temple that was built on corruption. There you have what some might call that perfect storm, a time to come. And God said, that's the time. That's the time to send Jesus. For me to come, as I said in that fable about the birds, to come and be as you so we might listen to him. The stage was all set. He had to come. Why? Because we just didn't listen for the previous 2,000 years, did we? There were things that were sent to us that we could come that we had not really following it. If you think about the small amounts of people who listened and followed Jesus at that time, compared with the amount of people who knew the Jewish scriptures, it was a minority of people who were believing of who God was and what was following and could identify and see who Jesus was. The other important thing to know is that Jesus came under the law. So he was accountable to the laws and the scriptures. He wasn't saying that, you know, I'm something different. He didn't arrive in a Superman suit and go pow with superpowers so that we would all be transformed and see that it was something that was special just to him and nobody else could be like that. He needed to come as a human so that we could see that actually we can be like him as well. We could follow him. When we are with like and want to follow Jesus and understand who God is, we can be like him if we choose to be, if we want to follow him. And so Jesus' coming was with a purpose. He came to do what all the laws and the regulations just was not achieving. People had got so focused on being seen to do the right thing that they actually they weren't really doing the right thing at all and their hearts 
will harden and hardening. He came to do what the judges and the prophets had not been able to achieve. People hadn't listened to God's messengers, the ones who had come. And so John the Baptist came almost to say, this is it, guys. The time has come. He's the warm-up act. He is saying Jesus is on his way. The Messiah is coming. Are you ready? Is that a message we need to hear today? If Jesus came back today, are we ready? Are we ready to meet him? Would you be excited to meet him? I know it's cold, isn't it? Is that what the problem is? Could we put the back blowers on maybe? Wouldn't shut the door maybe? Maybe that might um, help keep some of the heat in. And he came to do what the exile and punishing and God's anger at them just hadn't done. How many of us have learned over the years that actually being angry and shouting and punishing people doesn't actually change them? In fact, it hardens them. The justice system and the criminal and prison system here in this world is is learning the same, isn't it? It doesn't actually change people's hearts. What we need to do is listen to God and see what the amazing new thing he was about to do on the stage. God came to be sacred because the only way now was that he needed to become so we could have a relationship with him. He needed to make it personal. He needed to understand who we are. We live in a time when people meet through the internet and I can totally understand why that's a necessary thing for people today. But you can only do so much, can't you, online speaking to each other. At some point, you need to meet. At some point, you need to know whether you're going to get on. You need to meet face to face. So God needed Christmas because that's the time he chose to make it personal. That's the time he wanted to come and be able to look at us in the eyes. That's the time when he wanted to get up close to us and hug us and listen to us. And we see him, he's cooked for people as well. I don't think he's, there's any, oh, he did clean, didn't he? He washed people's feet. So all of the things that we do to demonstrate love to our family and friends. Jesus, God came as Jesus to do these things as well for us. He came to make it known who he was. He came so that we can be part of his family, that we can be joining him. We don't have to be on our own. We don't have to be isolated. We don't have to live in guilt and shame and unforgiveness. He came so that we can be part of his new kingdom where we're loved, where we're accepted and where our hearts are open to be transformed and live a better life. God came So all of what the prophets and the scriptures have been speaking about could be made real to us, could be made known. He was getting the job done and huge apologies, but as I was writing this, I couldn't resist it. The world was oven ready for it to just be done. That's my political reference for the week, which I think is quite restrained for me. So I'll just leave that there. But the time was right. And as we all know, actions speak louder than words. And it needed to be an event that would be dramatic. It needed to be an event that was going to be documented. It needed to be an event that was going to rock the world. 
Now, you might not think a nativity and a baby being born in a stable is particularly that rocking, but we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. So something about the nativity story has happened. He needed our attention. Who else in the last 2,000 years has been documented as much, spoken about as much, recorded about, copied, books written as much as there are about Jesus? But before you look on Wikipedia, nobody. He is the only one. So there is something about what happened. God's plan worked. He got our attention. He got the world's attention And people are writing about it and talking about it for years to come. It was the right time. The world needed to take notice. He wanted his message of love to be known. That while we were sinning, while we were far off, before we understood the story, before we thought the nativity was just a pretty thing that kids do and people go, well, Christmas is for kids, isn't it? No, Christmas is for everyone. God loves you. Even when we were far off, even when we didn't understand, God loves you. Even when we were hurting other people, even when we were hurting ourselves, even when we're in the midst of hurt and mess, God loves us. And that never changes. You are always, always loved. So if we think about his birth and being dramatic, why did he have to die? Because his death was public. It was really bloody. It was horrendous. It was torturous. It was one of the, 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 and still is, the most painful way to die. Why did he have to die like that? And again, it's still talked about today. It's something we, I think we celebrate. I know it is kind of that misnomer, isn't it? About why do we celebrate that someone's died? But we celebrate it at Easter, don't we? And all what that opens up for us. But the thing is, the God who created the world, God who created the universe and put stars in the space, who the, the, the planets, the, the galaxy, the seas, volcanoes even, the different animals and different birds. God created all of them. He is the author of life. He is the giver of life. And he's the one who gave you and me life. He's the one who before time began said... I need a Sharon, I need a Matthew, I need a Marilyn, I need all of you. These are the people I need in my world and in my life. So we needed Christmas to hear the story. And we needed Easter. Again, it was a, his life was documented, his death is documented and is written about. So both of those things are what we needed to understand, and we'll go a bit further into that. He is the giver of our life, and if we accept that, and I appreciate some of you might not, but if he is the giver of our life, the author of our lives, then we owe him our lives. 
How can we resist him? How can we resist the will of what he wants for our life? How can we not follow him? How can we not be transformed by him? How can we not understand who he is? If somebody has given us the most precious thing, life itself, how can we ignore him? He is the giver of life. He's the one who wants to give us a purpose. He's the one who wants us to see what there is to see in the world and for us to join him, join his family, or be supported and loved, not just by him, but by fellowships in churches around the world. And all of that is going on, knowing that there would be this time when he would die, and all of this, he says, and I love you. Even though we might not choose him, he is still saying, I love you. There was a time after the resurrection when um, Peter, Andrew, and John, and a number of the others, it's after Pentecost, it's recorded in Acts chapter 3, and uh, they're feeling a bit more confident. They're feeling like God has sent them. The Holy Spirit has come and he's sent them out into the world. And he, they're walking down through the streets of Jerusalem. And um, he, um, they come across some people, a lot of the, the Jewish um, people from the temple. And they're talking about him. And then Paul, this is recorded as being said from Peter. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given back to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. So what we have is those that are following Jesus, those who've been touched by the Spirit coming at Pentecost. And still there's disagreement amongst the Jewish people about what's going on. And Jesus' disciples are, are accusing them of saying, you killed the author of life. You killed him. And we saw it. Wow. That's quite big, isn't it? Quite a big um, words to be said to them. Anybody know who Maximilian Kolbe is? Now, if you've all been doing Alpha in your small groups, you should all know this. But, since this is a story, I'm, I'm joking. Colby is documented well on the Alpha course. So, Maximum Colby was a Franciscan monk. And he had an encounter with um, the Holy Spirit when he was about 10 years old. And he devoted his life to um, following Jesus. And he did a lot of things to help rescue the Jews in the Second World War. And eventually, he was arrested and sent to Auschwitz. And um, some people, one person uh, escaped from Auschwitz. And in, because of that, the German guards said that 10 people were going to go into a bunker and be starved to death. And they picked out 10 people, and uh, one of them cries out and says, but my children, my wife, what's going to happen? And Maximilian Kolbe goes, I will take your place. 
I will go into that bunker so you don't have to. And amazingly, the German guards allowed that to happen and Colby went into the bunker with the nine other men and he was the last one to die. They all starved to death. Colby talked to them about who Jesus was. They sang songs. And even after they thought that all of the, everybody had died, they opened up the door and Colby was still there singing and all the other nine people were dead. And in the end, they killed him with lethal injection. And as he was being killed and they were preparing everything, he offered up his arm for the injection to go in. And I can't remember when it was, but recently the Catholic Church have made him, a, uh, called him a martyr uh, uh, to do. Now, when we think about that, we can see that he sacrificed himself, yeah? We can understand the sacrifice that Colby made for this other man who set free, and I can't remember his name, I apologize, um, but this man recently, they did um, a coverage of this man and his, all of his descendants, um, and they got them all together, and all of these people that were born and lived because Colby sacrificed himself. And I like this story, well, it's not a nice story, but I think it helps us understand this concept of sacrifice that Colby gave himself so that others might live. Does that make sense? Can we follow that? Yeah, that concept of sacrifice. And that's what Jesus has done. That's why Jesus needed to die. Jesus demonstrates that love for us. Christmas is all about coming to show us love and Easter is all about showing us that love. It's all right, isn't it, when people tell you that they love you. It means a different thing when they actually show it to you. When they show you what love is. They might sacrifice doing something that they wanted to do, to do something with you, to spend time with you instead. They might do the washing, they might do the clean, they might do jobs for you around the house to show you how much they love you. There's something called um, the five love languages, I don't know if any of you have ever come across them, and it shows that, it talks about that actually we all receive love in a different way. Some of us receive it through gifts, some of us receive it through people doing things through for us, some of us receive it by people um, saying things to us, affirming us, those, it's that kind of concept, and each of us have our own particular way of having that happen. So if you're somebody who... Um, likes to receive gifts, and all this person does is keep telling you how much they love you, you're not going to feel loved. It might sound crazy, but that's the kind of psychology behind it, is actually when we know our way of knowing how we feel loved, then it's helpful if your partner, your spouses and things like that can understand that and demonstrate it to you. But we feel loved when it's shown to us, when it's demonstrated to us. So love is shown through Christmas. It's demonstrated and known through Easter. Jesus was willing to be that sacrifice for you. He was willing to be the one that would have his body torn about and tortured. Jesus was born in a time when there was no hope. He was born in a time of occupation and people were thinking, there's no way out now, this is it. This is how it's going to be forever. And Jesus is born as a baby in a stable 
with the world, seeing it through a star and documented it so that generations to come will know what needed to be, what was happening. God needed Christmas to show and allow for his work through Jesus to be documented and be known. And Easter was there to demonstrate how much. One of the things I discovered this week while reading about this, which I hadn't thought about before, was the people that we know from years ago uh, that are non-biblical characters like Caesar, Nero, um, I can't think of the names from the Old Testament, Cyrus, all those people are documented by themselves. You might think that's a bit weird, but what I mean is, is that they would have bought and paid for scribes to write about their lives, a bit like an autobiography. That's how the, the majority, if not all, of non-biblical evidence of history over the years was done, is that if people who were rich and important could employ a scribe to basically do that autobiography. And in the early first centuries, first and second centuries, the reason why Jesus was so amazing, so remarkable, was that everybody else wrote about him. Jesus didn't write about himself. He didn't document his story. It was everybody else was writing about it. Jesus and his disciples didn't pay for people to write. Everybody else has written about it. And there is loads of non biblical, historical data about who Jesus is. So this gives more evidence to the story of Easter and story to uh, the story of Christmas as well. So in a time of no hope, the great I am, the one Moses spoke to at the burning bush becomes really personal. He comes to be like us, to be known by us. And maybe we're all a bit like Thomas. We needed to see it to believe it. So this amazing story of where a young couple were expecting a baby and they didn't understand how. An angel comes and says it's all right. God's got this all in hand. That amazing story that we relive and relearn every Christmas was to set the stage for the most amazing thing to happen, for God to come and say, I love you. So God needed Christmas. And as it happened, somebody else needs Christmas. And we're going to talk about that next week.